Psalms, the very beginning of the Psalms, Psalms, this totally long book in the middle of the Bible. I mean, 100 and what is it, 51 chapters long, something like that. First two verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Um, uh, Where the Lord took me a little bit uh, for the message this morning, uh, surprised me a little bit, um, wasn't expecting it. Um, I feel like it's appropriate, and going back a few, a while back to Danny's message on uh, seed time and harvest, if you haven't listened to it, you can find it on Facebook, or I'm not sure, if, on Spotify. Um, it's a great message, and, and just looking at the, it's July 5th, and we had this, we had a text thread going on the other day, and um, talking about, man, it's been amazing. It's been an amazing first half of the year. January was, it was about the second or third week in January, it seemed like something just kind of snapped and broke loose, and Boy, it got good. <laughs> Man, and it's been an amazing six months. Um, we're just beginning the second half of the year now. And Danny, Danny had texted us. He says, too often I get fat and lazy off of a good harvest and forget to sow seeds for the next season. So that's not what we want to do. We can enjoy the harvest, but we don't want to just get fat and lazy. We want to continue to sow seeds so that it can be even better in the second half of the in the second half of the year. And uh, going back, I mean, seeds and harvest, pretty simple. You reap what you sow. If you're sowing good seed, you're going to reap a good harvest. If you're sowing bad seed, you're going to reap a bad harvest. Okay. If you don't like the fruit you're eating right now, try sowing something different next time around. So, in this time right now, um, there's, there's chaos and craziness going on everywhere you look, um, whether it be politically or socially or culturally, whatever. The wheat and the tares are being separated right now and it's gonna be visible for everybody to see, okay? Um, it's harder than ever, I feel like, right now in America to be a fraudulent Christian and also to remain in that place. And especially the last couple of days, especially on the West Coast, is now faced with a choice to either listen to their government and not sing in church or to open their mouth and worship Jesus. So you've got a choice. Um, so, like I said, let's not, let's not get fat and lazy off of a good harvest. Let's sow good seeds. Let's continue to, to sow good seed. Um, so I'm going to start this morning. Like I said, it was unexpected. Daniel chapter 2. The Lord just took me right there. Verses 31 to 45. So Daniel is interpreting a dream 
for King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, let's read it together, starting in verse 31. It says, you saw, it's a, bit, it's a bit long, so bear with me, but we're gonna read the whole thing. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of, and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Verse 36, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom the power and the might and the glory and in, into whose hands he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. And the dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. So we read in the beginning that, so basically Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the world. Everything, all people, everywhere, the birds of the air, everything was under his rule at this time. Quite possibly the greatest kingdom the world will ever see because according to the statue, the next thing that came after him was inferior and so on and so forth. So there will never be another kingdom on this earth like there was in Babylon with King Nebuchadnezzar. So we have the head of gold. We have the chest of silver, the thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and then way at the bottom, and this is what we wanna focus on, is feet that are partly of iron partly of clay. So what does that, does that paint a picture in anybody's head? 
I believe today we are in the age of iron and clay, of the feet. And especially um, here in the Western world. And I don't want to paint everybody this way. And I, I feel like we do well. But the church is very good at marrying the world the way he said here. What's different about us? Do we just incorporate Jesus? Do we incorporate the gospel into our world? Do we do everything the world's doing and then just go to church on Sunday morning? But it cannot stand that way. And with everything going on, I mean, it's looking and feeling a lot like the end. Now, I... Uh, and it's not meant to scare anybody. It's not, a believer should not be scared of the end, but should be excited. After that, I read through the whole book of Revelations. I went through all, all the things. The dead works are going to pass away. And in Revelations, it says, um, I believe it's in somewhere between chapter one and 10, there's a part that says, woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. So being on the earth in that time, when the devil knows it's the end, the time is coming close, oh, there's gonna be a thrashing. If you've ever cornered an animal into the corner or got an animal into a corner, I've had a few deer back in a little corner. The closer you get, the less space and less time he has, the crazier it gets, okay? You don't want to be there. In the same way, the Bible tells us that it's like birth, birth pains. It becomes increasingly, increasingly greater. We've had two kids, uh, and I've got to experience it secondhand. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's something <laughs> but like the birth pains as we can see the things that are going on the earth as it escalates and as it, as, it, as it gets more intense we know we're getting closer we're getting closer to the thing that's going to be birthed and that's Jesus coming back if we read through the book of Revelations and we are a bit insecure in our salvation, it's gonna scare you. It's not gonna be a whole lot of fun to read. But we can know, and there's a bunch of little parts in there. As far as it goes, you can read about the, the mark of the beast and, the, and, the, and all that stuff. And you talk with anybody that is... Uh, spends a lot of time eating from the vine of Facebook and uh, the news and who knows what else. Um, boy, the mark of the beast is close. All that stuff. But it does say, it says in Revelations verse 14, verse 9, it says, if anyone worships the beast and receives the mark of the beast on his forehead or on his hand, he will drink the wine of God's wrath. So it's not simply a mark, it's also worshiping. It's a continual act of worshiping the beast in the end. 
So I believe Christians uh, may be deceived in the last days, but I don't believe that it's going to be as easy to be deceived as it might feel like in your head right now. You know Jesus, you're going to be able to see it. Okay, don't, don't, don't be scared. Don't get scared by that stuff. In verse 12 of, of chapter 14, it says, and this is a key part here, is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. James tells us that faith is not uh, free of works. There is also works that are attached to faith. And in Revelations, it tells us, keep the commandments, number one, and keep your faith in Jesus. Um, and uh, this is going to be a little shorter this morning, but uh, Jeremiah Johnson had put on a little post yesterday. Um, I think it was yesterday. Maybe I just saw it yesterday. I want to read it to you guys. And, and it's what's in my heart, and it's what, I mean, it, it convicted me. I'm just going to read it. Uh, the, on the picture, it said, if you're not burning with the fresh fire of God, it's because you've not put anything on the altar. Fire needs something to burn. And it says, this is him, it says, I'm convinced from God's perspective that much of the prophetic movement has fostered a culture of spiritual babies who are craving sugary words of destiny while their teeth rot. Prophetic conferences and meetings are jam-packed with bellies that are malnourished because they have never been taught the deep truths of Scripture. They love to laugh and fall down, but they have never trembled under the fear of the Lord. They are addicted to personal prophecy and fire, fire funnels, but know nothing of holiness or consecration. And then he goes on, he says, we need way less personal prophecy and people falling over and way more exposition of the word of God and emphasis on character and integrity. Don't be full of excuses when you should be full of fire. It's time to lay our lives down on the altar once more. Um, And we, and we know this, and I know this from experience. When that's, all, when that's all you're getting filled with, when that's all you're doing, if that's as deep as you're going, if as deep as you're going is getting personal prophecy, getting ministry, um, oh, I need a word, somebody give me a word. If that's all the effort you put into it, and that's all you receive, it lasts a short time. And it does not carry you over through the deep and, the, and the, the middle parts, the parts where it gets long, the parts where it, it begins to, stuff, stuff's coming at you. When that stuff is coming at you, you need something more than just the two-minute word that you got last Sunday morning. You need a personal, you need to offer up yourself on the altar to be burned up with fire, and you will be on fire. It's promised the Lord always sends fire on the sacrifice. Um, the last chapter of Revelations, the end of the Bible, verse 17. Well, just that whole section is just amazing. But it says, and let the one who is thirsty come 
This is only five verses from the end of the Bible. Four verses from the end of the Bible. It says, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And uh, just I want to put this in real quick. If any of you know about Jehovah's Witness, have ever heard them come in. This is something I actually struggled with for a while, um, back, back a few years. But they believe, you know, and, the, and Revelations talks a lot about 144,000. Jehovah's Witness, if they come, they'll believe that once that number's met, there ain't no more room in heaven. So this is something I struggled with for a while. And uh, I just want to, if any of you are struggling with something that you've heard that number and you're not sure, I want to put that to rest. Um, where are we at? Here we go. Nope. Bear with me here. Hmm. I'm having trouble. If anybody knows exactly where that is, shout it out. <laughs> thought I did. Here we go. Found it. So in the beginning of verse 14, it says, then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And it is actually a part, boy, I, I'm sorry guys. Anyways, we'll skip that. Anyways, if you do find it later, there's a part where he says, after he saw the 144,000, there was a great multi multitude beyond whatever he could, any man could number of people dressed in white and ready to be, actually, it's coming to me now here. I, okay, ver, chapter 19, verse Verse six, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like a sound of many peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah for the Lord our God, the mighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. So it's right in there after they speak about the 144,000, the 12,000 from each tribe 12,000 from each tribe of Judah, and it's in chapter 7. Um, the very next verse, verse 9, it says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So there's more than 144,000 people in, the, in heaven. So all that for that. <laughs> but anyways, so this morning, I want to go back to Psalms 1. 
the beginning of Psalms. David was a worshiper. David loved ministry. Okay, David loved ministry. He loved prophecy. He loved receiving a word. But he started out the big book, big book of Psalms. With verse one and two, it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So Josh, I'm gonna ask you to come up. We're gonna open it up a little bit. And this is for, for us. A lot of times, too many times, we can hear, you know, the word of grace. We can hear grace preached. And deep in there, there's something that in you that wants to take advantage of that. It wants to take advantage of that and keep you continuing in sin, keep you continuing in what you're doing, keeping you untransformed. And then it wants to remind you of that, like, oh, you're all good. This ain't, this ain't bad for you. This is fine. Just, you know, he loves you. He'll forgive you. Keep doing it. That's a lie. That's bad for you. The truth is that we do not want to sit in the counsel of un the ungodly. We want to meditate on his law day and night. There is a deeper place to go. There is more than than just coming up and getting ministered to. But there's a character and integrity that we want to build in our hearts. So we're going to open up for ministry time a little bit. And this is not a condemnation. This is not saying you're wrong. This is an invitation. This is an invitation if you've had something that you want you know that it's not right. You know, it's sim it's put simply, there's sin. There's sin there that you don't like. There's sin there that's stealing your life. Sin there that's stealing your joy. Maybe it's mindsets. Whatever it is, lay it down. Build the character. Build the integrity. Maybe this is an invitation for you to set up, consecrate this time, give it to the Lord and, and put a stake in that you're going to seek him. You're going to seek him in a deeper and a different way than you have before. You're going to get in the word. The word is going to, I love what Ryan shared. The truth will set us free. And you know what that means? The more truth you have, the more free you're going to be. The more truth you have, the more freedom you'll have also. Um, so I just want to pray. Why don't we all stand? And we're not going to, we won't drag this out a long time. Um, and if, you, if you've got a word for somebody, give it. Prophetic words can mightily impact people's lives. They have mine. I am currently walking in probably four or five different ones. Um, but when you receive a word, you need to keep it. You can't just throw it out. You've got to keep it in your heart so that it can grow. Um, as Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for uh, each heart that's here.